Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Adam Zorowski to the show. Adam Zorowski currently serves as founding executive director of Rewiring America, a nonprofit dedicated to combating climate change and spurring economic growth through the rapid and widespread electrification of the U.S. economy. As executive director, Adam sets RA's strategic priorities, manages its policy development, partnership and communication activities, and manages all day-to-day operations. Until mid-2019, Adam served as director of state policy and agency management for the state of New York, where he led the development and implementation of all major policy initiatives for Governor Cuomo, and was responsible for strategic management of the state's executive agencies and authorities and their more than 150,000 employees. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm great, Raj. Thanks for having me. Adam, thank you for joining. Adam, where are you currently located? I'm in New York City. How's the weather up there? It's a little cloudy today, although it's been, uh, it's been pretty good recently. I'm going to let you in today. Dallas is at about 42 degrees, rainy. Better here. We are uh, we're about 50, 50. When I took the dog for the walk this morning, it was about 55 and a little bit cloudy, but nonetheless tolerable. So, uh, yeah, you know. It's everyone. not very often it gets to be better up there, is it? No, it's, other than when it's too hot down there. I, <laughs> I remember I spent a summer, I spent a week in Houston actually at one point in the summer, and I, you know, it's just. Uh, you, it brings us to our problem. Air conditioning is a great thing, except for the fact that it's, uh, you know, also not a good thing. And I, you need it a lot in those, those circumstances. So absolutely I hope, hope it heats up for you. Thank you. So Adam, I'd like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? <laughs> well, I appreciate the question. Uh, and I think, I think one of the things that, you know, I, I always like to think of, and, and, and there's always a question, of course, of how much uh, this plays out in reality is is um, a willingness to try new things. Uh, I think that's sort of both can be a scary thing, but also an invigorating thing. I, and I just to you know kind of lay out a few examples. When I remember I went to college, I went out to I grew up in New York and I went to California went to Stanford for college. And and I remember sort of first thinking that was exciting and interesting, and then being scared that I didn't know anybody and know anything about the West Coast. And then sort of the same thing when I switched careers from being a lawyer. Uh, to working uh, in this space, the energy uh, climate space, it was again a, a bit of a challenge. But to me, that's always been the most rewarding part. So I, I try to keep it interesting. I try to keep it on my toes, much to the chagrin of some people who always try to pigeonhole you into some specialty. But I, I, I very much value those kind of opportunities. Oh, so that and with- that and I would say my wife recently challenged me to take a tap dancing class to put myself on a limb, and I did. So you you could pick between the two of them. So that was going to be my next question: is that you know staying on the theme of new things. What was the latest, newest thing you tried? So that was it. My 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 wife uh, dared me to uh, to take a class. Um, we had uh, this is before COVID um, at this local area, and and 
she said, you know, name, name three, before she dared me, she said, you know, name three things you like. And I said, you know, I've always liked that. I was, I've been involved in, I was on the board of a theater company for a number of years. Uh, and she said, well, I dare you to do it. It was about me and about 10, uh, I'll call them older ladies uh, in our class. And um, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to become a professional tap dancer by any means. But uh, it, like and other things in life, it, it opens up your, uh, yourself, you know, you open yourself up to uh, what's possible and to what you, uh, what you can do if you press, stretch yourself a little bit. So it was good. So before we get to the climate space, I want to double down on this piece for a second regarding the courage to try new things. You mentioned switching careers. You mentioned trying tap. Where does the courage come from? Well, I think it's, I think it's, you know, courage is a very kind word. I don't think of it that way. I actually think of it um, a little bit the other way. And this may not be, um, how, I don't know if this rings true for other folks. Uh, but to me, I remember when I, when I left my law firm, I was at, I was a partner at a firm here in New York and I was there about 18 years. Um, and I remember people asking me when I was thinking about moving on, uh, to try other, you know, other things I thought might be re more rewarding. People said, well, aren't you scared? Isn't it risky? And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, uh, absolutely. But I actually thought it was riskier to stay. Um, and so I think that's how it comes up, which is to say, um, if you are in a situation and, and there's no knock on some of my former partners who are, who are terrific people doing terrific work, but for me, that was not something I found entirely satisfactory and, 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 and entirely fulfilling. Um, and it's always easy to kind of stay where you are. It's always easy to do what you know. Um, but I think if you, the way I like to think of that is that itself bears risk, includes risk. And the risk is that, you know, you never get to experience anything else. And so I think you can call that courage. You can call that fear of, 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 of inertia. Uh, but, um, but either way, that's sort of how I've always looked at it. Well, thank you for sharing that. And coming back to the climate space, can you give the audience an overview of rewiring America and your role at the organization? Sure. I'm our founding executive director. That means I run the organization's, you know, day-to-day -day activities uh, in close partnership with its two co-founders, uh, Saul Griffith, who's a, a, an engineer, a data scientist uh, out of MIT, um, MacArthur genius, as they say, who um, really did a lot of the groundbreaking analytical work uh, about that, that has led to the formation of the organization and the traction we've been able to have so far. And our other co-founder, who's Alex Lasky. Uh, who was the founder and ran a company called Opower for many years, um, which was uh, really a pioneering company around thinking about energy efficiency and data and data around uh, utility work. Um, and so the three of us, you know, in conjunction, kind of lead the organization. Um, what Rewiring America is, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization. Uh, and, the, and the way I like to think of it is, is that um, we are a co coalition of, of engineers, entrepreneurs, policymakers, uh, volunteers, who are all committed to, to one basic mission. Uh, and that mission is this, is to demonstrate through uh, data and analysis and, 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 and sort of practical uh, pathways um, that we can both solve climate change, that we can solve climate change, but also do so in a way that, that spurs our economy and makes for a brighter future. Um, it is possible. It is possible with technology now. It is inspiring, and it's something we should want to do. And I think our our mission at Rewiring America is to try to carry that message and to really show people how, at least as much as we can, partnering with others, uh, how that's possible and, and, and so we can move the needle. I mean, I'm reminded, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit further on, um, you know, I was, I was a policymaker until recently. I ran our climate and energy and finance portfolios, among other things, for New York State. And I always thought that one of the big challenges in moving, you know, making change, making progress, 
sure, you have to have policy. Sure, you have to have resources. Sure, you have to have uh, buy-in. Uh, sorry, uh, you know, constituencies. But you also need buy-in. And that means psychological buy-in. People are always leery about change. And I think part of the work we can do in this organization and committed to doing is to try to get hold people's hands a little bit and give them comfort that it's going to be okay and it's going to be better. Um, and, and that's really where we focus. So you mentioned it's possible. Can you give examples of some of the possibilities? Sure. No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, our, the basic thesis, the basic thesis of possibility is electrification. Um, so for those out there, and I'm, I know you have a fairly sophisticated audience, but maybe it's worth just a minute on, on what that means. Um, when we say electrify everything, and that's our sort of our, one of our mottos, we mean take every machine that currently in our economy runs on fossil fuel, so cars that burn gasoline, uh, you know, boilers that run uh, what we call natural gas, um, you know, jet power plant uh, that generate using whether it's coal or, or natural gas or even oil, uh, and replace them with, with electric versions, electric, you know, electricity. And in the case of your house, for example, or your household, that means replacing your internal combustion engine vehicle with an EV. It means replacing your hot water heater or, or furnace with a, with a heat pump. It means replacing your gas stove with an induction range. Um, and more broadly in the economy, it means doing the same, you know, as, as, we, as we move out, uh, out of your house across the board. And it also means, very importantly, uh, generating all the electricity that we're using in a clean way. So the, the reason that matters, and again, I, I'm sure this is familiar to some listeners, but probably worth just establishing, is um, we can generate electricity in a way that does not at the same time uh, produce greenhouse gas emissions, right? Solar and wind being the most obvious, hydro, even nuclear, and that's you know a subject of some controversy, but nuclear does not produce greenhouse gas emissions. And these are all ways we can generate electricity. So if you electrify all the end uses of energy, cars, furnaces, whatnot, and you therefore generate, and you generate that electricity through methods that themselves don't generate carbon or greenhouse gas emissions, you can decarbonize an economy. Uh, and that's possible today. We have all those technologies exist. There's no miracles needed, no breakthrough, you know, science experiments where, you know, some uh, uh, mad scientist in, in a lab kind of comes up with the next great uh, technological innovation. All the capacity to do what I just described exist today. There are EVs, there are heat pumps, there's um, clean electricity generation. Um, it's a question of scale, it's a question of political will, and it's a question of deployment uh, and organization um, as of today. Well, let me add one more question there, and let's stay with the home for a moment, sure. or perhaps with the individual. The cost associated with converting to a heat pump to purchase an electric car, you know, there's a lot going on right now. We're in the I don't know if we're in the middle of COVID, the end of COVID. I don't know exactly where we are. I don't think anyone really does. Right. We're in COVID. Good point. We're in the amber, right? But, um, you know, individuals bearing the cost of this conversion. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there, even, you know, people that are listening that would love to perhaps buy an electric car or exchange their current, you know, HVAC for a heat pump. But how does Rewiring America propose or perhaps suggest that individuals can learn to or perhaps bear the cost of doing this transition? Sure. So that's that's obviously the key uh, question once you get past the, the sort of premise that I articulated about the technological possibilities. Uh, and, and, and the good news, and I'll unpack this here in a minute, the good news is not only can we afford to do it, but it's actually economically beneficial. And I'll, and I'll explain what I mean. Uh, it, it will be, by that, you know, obviously, I mean, the 
better for households and better for the economy. Um, here's why. So the, I mentioned earlier Saul and his uh, analytical work that led to the formation of Rewiring America. And so maybe it's worth spending a minute on what that is because it, it, it really sets up the answer to your question. Uh, what Saul and his team did is funded by the Department of Energy and, and in consult, consultation with some other folks, did a study uh, of all of the energy flows in the economy, in the U.S. economy, where, where energy comes from, what it's used on, and, and where it ends up. And, and what we found, and this is something that's on our w- website, rewiringamerica.org, is we call our Sankey diagram. And, and you know, Sankey diagram, for the, those of you who haven't seen it before, it kind of maps flows of things. And, and the Sankey diagram that, that Saul and his team put together uh, led to a pretty remarkable conclusion, and that is this. Because if, if, if you electrified everything, you know, they asked the question, so what if we electrify everything? If you electrified everything, the whole economy would need about half as much total energy as it currently consumes. Okay, so just, you know, take that for a minute as, as, as a given. Um, and then you ask, well, well, why? Why is that so, right? So, so how can that be? Well, the main answer is that our current economy is pretty wasteful. Our current economy, run on fossil fuels, uh, I mean, this is something I did not know until I sort of got involved in this work. 10% of our current economy, uh, the energy in our current economy, is actually fossil fuels spent finding, refining, and and transporting other fossil fuels, right? So exploring, digging it up, refining it, getting the gas to your car, all the rest of it. 10% of our energy is on that. So if you are electrifying, none of that is necessary. You don't need to dig oil out of the ground. You don't need to refine it. You don't need to transport it. You don't need to sell it. So that's right off the top, you, you have savings there. But the other big chunk, and there's more in our analysis, obviously goes to some granular detail. But the other big chunk, in fact, the even bigger chunk is the heat loss. When you burn a gas in your car, uh, it's and I, and I forget the exact percentage, but it's, it's, it's the vast majority of the energy created by the burning fuel actually goes out into the atmosphere as heat as opposed to for propulsion in your car. And so if you electrify, and this is, again, the, the, the work that Saul and his team did, the whole econ- economy as a whole would only require half as much energy. Okay, so how does that relate to the question, the important question you asked about households being able to afford this? Well, households, that would flow down to households too, right? Ultimately, and we, we published an analysis last week uh, showing that with supportive policies and sufficient financing, and I'm, I want to come back to that in a minute, uh, the average household in America, if they fully electrified, could save anywhere between $1,000 to $2,500 a year on their energy bills. Households currently spend up to $4,500 or so a, a year. So we're talking a significant household savings is available if we electrified everything. The challenge, which is the challenge that you identified in your question, is the upfront cost to get us to that, let's call it, better state. So that's where things like policy are going to be important, and that's in Rewiring America is where we, we are really are focusing now is, is moving away from sort of the establishing the premise that I just, the exciting premise that I just uh, mentioned to you into, into the how do we, how do how policymakers get involved and help out uh, and, and also building a market, right? So, so, so when, when we have a, you know, this is not a problem that hasn't been solved before. Uh, I don't know about you. I, when, when my wife and I bought our current house, we weren't able to come in and just say, oh, sure. How much is that house? Great. Here's, you know, let me reach into my pocket. Here's the money, right? What did, what did we do? We said, well, we know we can afford that house over time, right? We know it's cheaper than our rental that we were living in. We know that, you know, so there's this magic technology called a mortgage, right? And what does a mortgage do? A mortgage lets you 
take advantage of the benefits of the future today, you know, and the resources of the future today. Well, that's a key pillar, if you think about it, of how we're going to do this too. So one of, one of the things we're working on now is, is designing policies and we'll be working with policymakers, and this is certainly where I'm focused personally, of course, on how do we make it cheaper for the average household to do this? The other, and, and, and that includes not just financing, where you could get mortgage type rates and, and either through a utility on bill financing or, or, or some other kind of lending, uh, but also includes, frankly, helping manufacturers scale up so that costs come down. I mean, I, I don't know how familiar uh, you are, but I, I certainly have always been stunned every time I look at the charts around PV solar prices uh, and battery storage prices uh, over time. Mm-hmm. They just keep falling and keep falling and keep falling and keep falling. And, and, and that's part because of adoption and scale. And so we'll see the same thing, I think, on some of the things we're talking about here. Um, and so all those things together are, are really where policy and, and can help shape market and drive markets to get down prices. The other side of the equation, and I don't want to, you know, happy to talk about any of this in more detail, but just to, just to finish out the answer to your question, is going to be making sure that the, the market is ready for this. Because one of the challenges, I put solar on my roof, and I, you know, this is at a time when I was overseeing our state's energy portfolio. And I still had a hard time. And I, and I like to think, you know, without being too self-important, that they were probably putting me as a priority customer, given that I was in charge of the energy, you know, the, the energy portfolio for the governor and the state they're operating. And it was still difficult because there's permitting, there's regulations, there's inspections, there's lags of time. So we, so we need to clean that stuff up too. We need to get uh, to a point where it's easy if you're a homeowner for you to say, I want to do this. Here's cheap financing. And here's a, a you know a guided streamlined process to make this happen. So that's where we're working now on on, on identifying and providing roadmaps uh, and assistance as to how we get from here to there. Because there is, but the key takeaway is there is a there in the future that is better economically for you at the household level, better for us at the economy level, uh, and obviously better at an environmental climate level. And that doesn't even account, and I'm sure we'll come on to this, all the benefits economically of that work that's going to be required to get us from here to there. So. I understand the financing model, familiar with solar financing and other financing. You mentioned mortgages, et cetera. Where are we from a policy standpoint? Um, so there are models, right? And if you're asking about in terms of um, policy support for those kind of, um, that kind of financing, um, there is work happening, right? So, so when you think about, um, and, and I should say, we're, we are, I think, recording this seven days before the uh, 2020 election. <laughs> so... Whatever I'm saying now will clearly be uh, re- relatively moot uh, one way or the other in a in a couple of weeks, right? Either if if, if Biden wins, I think you know it's fair to say there's a, that opens up uh, based upon what he's proposed as plans a significant number of opportunities at the federal level. If Trump should get reelected, you know, obviously then it's then that changes that dynamic based upon the positions that they have taken on this issue. Uh, but at the state level, and and I think it's important to to plug the state level here a little bit, just not only because it's where I've worked uh, in the past, but also because of its importance to these issues. I, for When we're talking about homeowners, when we're talking about you know folks on the ground, obviously they are much more in touch regularly with their state and local uh, governments. Uh, there are There is work going on. And so I'll give you an example. Here in New York State, um, NYSERDA, which is the uh, Energy Research and Development Authority here, uh, has a pilot program out. Now, just on the topic I was talking about before, where you as a, uh, a lenders can sign up for credit enhancement, that is to say, uh, guarantees against losses if they're making loans for qualified projects uh, along the electrification energy efficiency lines uh, to homeowners 
and they can get backstopped by a state entity uh, up to certain percentages. Um, if they if they make those loans, then that encourages lending, right? Because I'm a lender. Um, if I know that I'm going to be covered uh, by for losses uh, up to X percent on the first dollar um, by a creditworthy counterparty like uh, NYSERDA or New York State, uh, that encourages me to lend and encourages me to lend and compete at lower interest rates than others. So I think those are the kind of models that we're seeing. I mean, obviously, there'll be a role at the federal government if, if it comes to it uh, for uh, expanding uh, and, and, and turbocharging that. We certainly are working on proposals along that line here at Rewiring America. But I think there are models for that. There's, I mean, there's other things going on too. You mentioned solar financing, right? And so there's, there's been a tremendous uh, uh, market in, in the solar tax credits and, and, and tax equity and all of that. So, I mean, there's definitely the models that, that, that we can use here to help on the financing side. Um, but, we could use, but, the, but the bottom line is we could use a whole heck of a lot more. I mean, I think we envision a, a very robust uh, growth to that market over the coming years. I do too. Going back to the Sankey diagram for a moment, not sure. only is it a beautiful beautiful piece of work, and uh, I'm actually thinking about how I can get a print of that for my wall. It's just gorgeous to look at. Well, hold, because we are actually talking about, I mean, it's 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 I, it's an eye chart thing, but we are actually talking about how we can produce, you know, using that as a way to produce some stuff, to pr- some branding stuff. So if you want, swag is coming. I think I think what we recently had a proposal from someone to take that and Put it on all sorts of uh, all sorts of items because yeah, I'm looking for about a four foot by three foot for right behind me when I sit here and you know not do a interview. t-shirt, not a t-shirt, not a, that's not, right. that's not a t-shirt. I'm looking for something at scale so when my kids walk by, they can take a look at it too. Because the point I want to get to here is yeah, that please. I watched a video um, with um, Saul, and yep. something he said during that video really stuck out to me. He pointed to a, a section in the Sankey chart, and it was a very quick video, and I'm happy to put a link to it in the show notes. But he said every one of these. And I'm going to use the word industries that has a 0.1 near next to it is a $25 billion opportunity. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So 0.1, the reference on 0.1 is um, that's the level of granularity that our Sankey chart. And again, I, I, I think it would encourage you to uh, link to it because obviously we're talking here in the abstract and you and I both know it. But I think, you know, listeners obviously will want to take a look here. Um, but that's the level of granularity, 0.1%. Uh, of the energy flows in the economy that were are mapped in the Sankey diagram, so that's that's what that means. But what I think Saul's talking about there, and I, you know, I have to go back and look at the video, but based upon our conversations, is that um, the transition, the transformation of these industries from a fossil fuel, from their fossil fuel history, and our economy as a whole from its fossil fuel history to our electric future, right, is an enormous economic opportunity. And so I'll give you a couple examples, and maybe this is. You know, we're, you know exactly what we're talking about here. But um, we just finished talking about financing, right? I anticipate, and you said you agree. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars in lending over the coming years to homeowners uh, looking to upgrade and put solar panels on their roof, put electric cars in their garages, upgrade their their hot water heaters, right? So, so we've done an analysis that says that think for a minute about who's going to do all that work, right? folks, you know, doing the work on the ground in terms of folks at your home, but then who's going to help underwrite those loans, manage that financing uh, and deal with it. Those are people, those are jobs here in the United States, right? You can't really outsource or retrofit. Um, and along with it, in each of those industries and touch points over on the way. So the, the banker and the financing who provides the capital, who then works with the contractor, who brings people along, who then buys the stuff from the manufacturing uh, entity, who then of course has to have the installation and then the service and then the people who uh, are obviously uh, 
providing ancillary services to those industries as they grow up. All of that together, we asked, we did an estimate, it's going to create 25 million jobs over the next 15 years. We published this on our website. And those jobs are good paying jobs. And if you think about the math for a second, 25 million jobs, you know, at a, what, you know, $75,000 a job, I'm doing quick math in my head, uh, is what? Um, well, I can't do the math in my head right now. I'm not, apparently not, not in school anymore. But a significant, that's sort of, that's the economic, that's the gross economic opportunity of the economy right now, which is, you know, we're looking at 25 million jobs over the next 15 years, good paying jobs. And we have a paper, as I say, that, that, that I would certainly refer people, and maybe you could link to it, it's called our jobs report. But what you're talking about is what does that transition look like? And it looks like, to me, it looks like unbelievable economic opportunity up and down industries, whether it's in manufacturing of cars, whether it's in installing uh, solar in your roof, whether it's financing those things, whether it's financing the manufacturing of cars, whether it's the uh, ancillary services around servicing those things, um, any of those things in the Sankey diagram you're referring to obviously breaks it down by industry, um, but that's what we're talking about. You know, it's interesting you say that because just yesterday I had a conversation with a young man who is doing essentially lead generation for um, contractors and construction here in Dallas. And one of the things I recommended to him was regarding energy efficiency and retrofitting buildings and how perhaps, you know, contractors can start differentiating themselves from the current market by offering these services, which are going to become more important over time. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, that would come under, let's say, HVAC, for example, sure. you know, in that in that diagram, that in itself, that industry, that one niche itself could be, you know, that $25 billion opportunity. Yeah. And, and I think, like, again, I have to go back and look at the math, though, but you're talking about almost $2 trillion in activity if you just sort of think of the 25 million jobs at 75,000 jobs on average, some of them higher, some of them lower. But you're talking about a tremendous amount of economic activity to make this transition happen. Uh, and when you think about that and you think about that in the various industries, your point, the opportunity, you know, it's not exactly spread out linearly, but the opportunity in each of these industries uh, is, is, is tremendous. Because if you think about, um, you know, the total uh, amount of this transition, yeah, so it, it, there is going to be significant opportunities in HVAC work. There's going to be significant opportunities uh, in, in electrical work to install load center upgrades at homes. There's going to be tremendous opportunity in finance uh, for folks who are going to be making the lend and processing the loans. There's going to be tremendous opportunities in ancillary businesses that support those activities. Um, and, and, and each of those things is an area where, you know, I think people are going to see that these are the jobs of the future. I'll, I'll just tell you one story that I don't know if it, if it you know, sort of um, rings true here, but it, it strikes me as um, one I really remember from my time in government. Um, governor, the governor used to ask me, how many people are in clean energy and work in clean energy in New York state. And the number we had was about 150,000 at the time. Um, and I would ask him, I'd say, you know, but governor, how many of those people do you think know they're working in green and clean? <laughs> and I'd say that probably 10 to 15,000, right? Most of those people just think they're going to work. They think they're going to help fix a house. They think they're going to install solar panels. They think they're going to put in insulation. They think they're going to put it in the solar farm. They think they're uh, doing a connection or, you know, a wiring connection, uh, in interconnection to the grid. Um, they think they're financing these things. They think they're working on tax equity deals. And, and that's all true. But all that rolled up is the clean economy. And I think that's what we're going to see at a large scale. And that's what I think what you're talking about in terms of the opportunities are all those things that flow through all those different categories. That's a great point, Adam. So, Adam, I'm going to make a hard right turn here and get to oh. the crux of our conversation. Okay. You know, it's the why behind what you do. 18 years in law practice, teaching law. Now you're here at Rewiring America. Why and what keeps you motivated? <laughs> well, I think, 
I think there's a stage in between that. We talked about it a little earlier, which is, um, you know, I have three young children, right? And and I had a career where uh, things were going very well, and 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 you do work, and you kind of just pick your head up and put your head down and and, and go day to day. Um, but at some point, I think, and particularly climate is to me is is a is a one of these examples. Um, I think I think it certainly came to me, and I, I hope it comes to others. You say, well, you know, what what do I want to be? Uh, doing with my life? What, what is the way I could be of greatest use and most contribution? Um, whatever that is. And it could be, you know, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be the you know, single-handedly doing X, Y, or Z. It's just, where's your, your best contribution? Um, and that question to me uh, has always been, you know, sometimes it's an annoying question. I, I sometimes uh, uh, envy folks who don't really, you know, kind of just have either, either by choice or you know, at some level, I don't envy the folks who have it by no choice, but but don't have to sort of think about that or don't think about that. Uh, but for me, I was in a fortunate enough position where I could have some reflection uh, and and decided that I really wanted to make sure uh, that I spent my time on something I thought really mattered and could help other folks. Uh, and 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 this just sort of came to it. I, I would add also, I don't know, um, you know, if, if others have had this experience. I came to energy and uh, the ins and outs of climate policy relatively late. Um, in my career. Uh, and so it, it had for me the, and still has for me the excitement of the new, um, you know, this is just an unbelievably fascinating field where things are trans transforming, you know, in real time. Uh, I like to say that I think in sort of, sort of like the life before the internet, my kids always ask me, you know, how is it possible to live without, you know, iPads and Wi-Fi and all the things they do. Uh, and I think in 20 or 30 years, we're going to ask similar questions about how is it possible to live with all those fossil fuels in your house and, and in your, you know, in your atmosphere. Uh, I think we're going to see an unbelievable transition. So to me, it's exciting to be part of that and just, you know, do what you can to help out and, 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 and to uh, grow and learn um, and all those things. I think those are all real true for me. How old are your children? So uh, I have uh, 11, eight and six. Those are their actual biological ages. If you want their psychological and, uh, <laughs> and emotional development, you know, they, they, they vary, but two boys uh, and then my youngest is a girl. Well, we're in the same boat. I have three daughters. They're eight, ten, and twelve. Oh man, I, I you know my my daughter is is the youngest, but she is the uh, she is definitely uh, uh, brings the most energy and and sort of um, uh, complexity sometimes to to our our lives. I, I love her dearly, but I don't you know I, I, at some level I, I think you know I, you're a man. You're a good. You're a good man if, because you must be. You must be. You're about to enter those teenage years that everybody warns you about. One day at a time. Yes, there you go. One day at a time. And when your kids go back to listening to this in the future, they'll be proud of what you said. <laughs> well, for now, for now, we're just trying to get through. I mean, this is obviously, as I'm sure you've experienced, and anyone with kids has experienced, quite an interesting time uh, to be um, a parent of kids in that age group that we're talking about, not just because of the Zoom school and all of that, but also having to have the conversations with them about, um, you know, life is life is not a certainty and you need to you know, being resilient, having resilience around that and empathy around some of these people going through harder times and all that is, is something my wife and I very much try to use uh, this opportunity to, um, to, you know, impart to them in, in their lives. Absolutely. So, you, you know, you said 18 years with a law firm, then working in government, and now with Rewiring America. Yep. What are some of the most valuable lessons that you would say you've learned about yourself? Huh. Well, about myself, you know, is, is I think, um, you know, I, I think one of the lessons is, and, and it's sort of almost paradoxical, the answer is that 
never think you know, you know what the answer is, right? You, 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 you. So, so I. So the answer to your question is sort of is is almost a process answer, which is to say that that one of the things I've learned is that it's always a process of evolving and learning and trying to learn more and uh, and and you know reflect and develop and there's a mountain, you know, it's a mountain without a top, right? In the sense of as one thinks about your own learning about yourself. Uh, and so that's that's the closest thing I've had to a, a fundamental lesson. But in terms of um, more day to day stuff, I, I think I've always done well responding to sort of challenges. Uh, there are folks out there, and, and, and Saul is a, a terrific example of it, who are just throwing off sparks like like sparks from a generator, always throwing off new ideas and new things and new directions, and it's and it's exciting and exhilarating uh, to work with someone like that. For me, whether it was at my law firm or in in government, it's I've always been, um, I think, more effective when I when you know I sort of react to that and think about how to make those things operational, how to think about presenting them, how to think about them in a strategic, uh, tactical way, and 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 work towards making things happen uh, in a practical, uh, practical expression. And so I think you know one of the things we all try to do in life is is realize you know uh, what you can bring to a table, but also realize how important it is to have other people there bringing other things as well. So. Uh, I've always tried to uh, take that lesson to, to heart when I can. So speaking of strategic, it's 2025, ideal scenario. What does rewiring America look like? Ah, so that's, you know, you, you, you almost can look through my computer, I imagine, at this moment and see the projected steady state budget projections that my, uh, my team has been sending to me about what it looks like over the next three to five years. Um, what we have in mind for a vision and, and, uh, is... I would say a couple of things, right? One is is that the narrative that we've been talking about during this session uh, is become the narrative. I mean, it w- just 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 to say it out loud, you know, we're, we're a week out from what was the final debate between uh, uh, President Trump and Vice President Biden, and the question came up, as it always seems to come up these days, around uh, you know clean energy jobs, and and Vice President Biden was obviously very committed to it, and, and he made that point, but even the way it was framed by the moderator was. How can you say they're consistent with the economy? It's a sort of very defensive, um, and it, and it and it feels almost as if the conversation for too long around this topic has been in an eat your vegetables kind of way, right? Like, oh man, I know long term it's going to be good, but boy, I just can't, don't want any more broccoli. And I think our mission at Rewiring America, and if you ask me about 2025, what I'd like to see first and foremost is that we've played a part in changing that narrative, and so now people are not asking, you know, why why are you tackling climate change, or how can you do so, but why aren't you? Oh my goodness, what an opportunity missed. This is an opportunity for our economy. It's an opportunity for our, our, our children. It's an opportunity for our environment. Uh, and, and we want people to get, you know, damn excited about it. We think the future can be awesome. We think it can be uh, uh, economically beneficial and a brighter future if we do this, if we do this in a committed way. Uh, and so to me, that's number one. In terms of the organization itself, you know, we, we really have, uh, I would say, fairly ambitious plans uh, to, to help shape a a policy agenda at the federal level that that facilitates the work we're talking about, but also that at state and local level, we we, we would love to see you know rewiring uh, Missouri, rewiring Colorado, rewiring uh, New Jersey, rewiring uh, England, rewiring and 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 the reason is not so much that we want to see our brand uh, you know in in lights. It's it's because that narrative and that um, that approach uh, both is we think going to help us get as a society around the corner, but also reflects where we think the work needs to be done. It needs to be done at the local level. It needs to be done by people 
who want to go to their town halls and say, no, we, this is important for us here. We need to have our building codes streamlined in a way that allow us to do this in our houses. We want to uh, build the narrative and build the uh, movement, uh, much like you've seen in other sort of social changes. It used to be uh, that everywhere you went, there was smoke inside of restaurants, right? And now you, it almost seems as odd that there is when you are at a place that has that, if at all. And, and the reason is because everywhere it kind of just became the, the way the ethos changed and certainly on climate and particularly the optimistic vision of you know people demanding and wanting to see it not for necessarily moral reasons but also for economic reasons uh boy that would be if we could play a role in that and, and help that happen i think that would be a great success it's a beautiful vision if there is someone listening right now that wants to get involved with the organization you know has the dream of rewiring america rewiring texas missouri like you mentioned what's the best way for them to reach out and get in touch with you well, that's a great question, and thank you for asking. I mean, we are one of the things that's been striking to me since our launch this summer has been how many people uh, have sort of come out, raised their hands, and said, "Hey, can, how can we help?" Uh, we've had, you know, people go to our site and make donations. Uh, we've also had a tremendous amount of uh, volunteer uh, interest. Um, people sort of said, "Hey, I've got this skill. I can, I can write. I, I have some local policy expertise. I've come from finance. Whatever it is." Uh, and they've signed up. So on our website, there's a, a place where volunteers can come along and uh, sign up. We would we greatly encourage that. We have someone on our staff who actually uh, is responsible for for um, taking talking to volunteer people who want to volunteer, understanding where they might fit in, and and helping and and and, and make the use of their uh, uh, skills and talents and interest. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you if you want to, you know, we're a C three, we're a nonprofit, so. Any donations are greatly ex appreciated, and we're also hiring. I mean, we are we are we are always looking to build out some capacity uh, if the fit is right uh, as we grow. Um, so any of those three uh, would be great. We also welcome. Um, you know, we're pretty open source. We put on, for example, this we put this household report out last week, um, and we've also made available just not the report, but also plan on making some of the underlying modeling assumptions available too. Um, and so we welcome people to engage with us. We, we want to get this right. We want to, we want to, we want this narrative to be one that is, uh, not necessarily rewiring America's narrative, but then, you know, a narrative that is, that, that everybody can feel confident about, believe in, stand on firmly and, and launch out into, uh, as I say, a brighter future. So, so come volunteer, um, lots of work to be done, lots of, lots of, uh, opportunities for you, uh, come support us otherwise. Uh, rewiringamerica.org is our is our website and we obviously very much welcome any interest to that effect and i will put links to the Great. your web your website in the show notes and i highly recommend people read your reports they're phenomenal reports they're not you know too jargony they're very easy to digest so strongly recommend that adam last question if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience and it could be personal or professional what would it be but before i go on you know you mentioned earlier your you know and I, I said courage, you're, that you're not afraid to try new things. Specific advice, professional or personal for the audience, what would it be? Um, so, so I think professionally, I would, I would just say, um, always ask yourself why you're doing something, right? So, so I think that there's, there's this great tendency, in it, and it, you know, I think it's, whether it's corporate culture, I saw this both in corporate culture and in government as well, people, you know, afraid to screw up. Right, afraid to, to to do something so they don't look bad and whatnot. But I, I think if one of the things that I've always tried to do is ask, well, hold on, what are we trying to accomplish here? You know, we're not here just we're not showing up at an office just to show up at an office. We're trying to accomplish something, whether it's get policy enacted, um, 
in, in the case of my law firm, you know, represent the client. In the case of our work at Rewiring America now, develop and, and promulgate the narrative and the, and the pathway that I've talked about. And always kind of ask yourself, I, is, is what I'm doing helping us advance that? Right? Is, is, can, how can I help advance? How can I best help keep that goal in mind? And I think, I think that through line really helps, uh, has always helped anchor me as a, as a way to kind of um, think about my work as, as where I should prioritize, what I should be spending my energies on. Um, and sometimes you're wrong. I mean, that's just life. Uh, but but being wrong is actually uh, a refre- can be a refreshing experience if if if, if people uh, recognize that you're trying to get it right while while you do it. I think that the you know the, the challenge I've always found when when young folks have always worked for me is I think they've they've always kind of or too often feel as if it's the continuation of school where there's a right answer and their job is to get it as opposed to their job is to help advance the mission of what we're all trying to work on. So I, I think that just keeping that in mind and and, and, and recognizing that you may, you may make some mistakes along the way, but that you know, you'll get a lot further and a lot more uh, traction and respect uh, if you do them in, in the service of trying to advance uh, the broader goal of, the, of either the organization or, or the work you're doing. Adam, I love the idea of advancing the mission. I look forward to watching Rewiring America Advance and catching up with you again soon. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time and your interest and obviously for doing all the great work you do. I, I, I think I was mentioning before, we, I'm a big fan of, of your podcast and, and the focus, folks you have on. Uh, so, so really honored to be here and thank you very much for, your, uh, for taking the thank time. Thank you, Adam. and have, Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, The Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com under the Original Content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.